Are you saved by works or faith? That's the question we bring before you today on Abounding Grace. Some will offer you, you can buy your way into heaven. Just go ahead and give, 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 and your faithful giving to this church will then buy your way into heaven. You know, listen, you cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't knock on enough doors. You can't light enough candles. You can't say enough prayers that will merit you being saved and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But you can believe your way into salvation. So the Bible says you can believe your way into being right with God. This is amazing grace. There are those that are under the impression that if they're a good person, God will allow them into heaven. But how good is good enough? Actually, if that's the standard you go by, you'd need to be perfect. And no one but Jesus has lived the perfect life. Thankfully, there is another way to be justified. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has us consider whether the law or grace saves us. It's important that we get this straight as there are eternal ramifications. So let's turn to Romans 3 and verse 31. You ever wonder what you're supposed to do with the Ten Commandments? What do I do with the Ten Commandments? If I'm saved by faith and it's grace that by which a person is saved, then what about the Ten Commandments? Should I make them my list to follow? Should I make sure that every T is crossed, every I is dotted, and everything's in order, and I'm a Ten Commandment kind of Christian? Do you know you'll meet people that'll say that? So how's your walk with the Lord? Oh, I, I keep all the Ten Commandments. That's my, I'm a Ten Commandment kind of Christian. And it brings up a question for us that really needs to be answered. Is it works or faith? Really, what is it? Are you saved by works or are you saved by faith? As a Christian, do you continue on in works or do you continue on living a life of faith? And that's the question before us. Because of a misunderstanding of grace, and by pulling many passages out of context, you will meet those that say, it's works. It's works. you got to work. And it's not enough just to work. you got to work hard. you got to work consistently. Work. And you have churches and you have groups that say, this is how you're saved. It's faith in Jesus Christ and... And then they fill in the blank. And many people, many Christians, many well-meaning Christians, many cults, will fill in the blanks. Yeah, you're saved by Jesus and... And you know what? When you start dialoguing with them, I guarantee you they will take you to James chapter 2. Would you turn there with me? James chapter 2. You'll say, oh no, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, we're saved by grace through faith, saved by grace. And you'll go through and they'll go to James. Okay, let's go to James. And we've studied James in depth. So if this is something that you want to look into further, we have studied both James and Galatians in depth. Looking at what James is saying here, he is not contradicting Paul whatsoever. He's laying before us the outgrowth of faith. Verse 14, chapter 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Well, the answer is true faith can save him. That's the answer. 
And then James says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, but even the demons believe and tremble. And you wonder, oh, wait a minute, James. Sounds like you're telling me I need to be a works-filled Christian. Well, true works follow true faith. That's what James is saying. So you know you've got a live, a live, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ because somebody that's naked and destitute of food pricks your heart. It's not just enough to say, well, I'm a Christian, and I'm sorry, buddy, you're tough luck for you. But it actually pricks your heart to the point where you then practically help them and love them. He's not talking about salvation here. Neither is Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Would you turn over there with me since we'll be in Matthew 22 in a minute? Look at Matthew 5 because this is another place they'll take you. How can you say that you're saved by faith alone? How can you say it's the grace of God? Because Jesus himself said, Jesus himself said that he didn't come to destroy the law. Look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Another passage for sure you'll be taken to. And we'll put them all together today. And see the entirety of the context in which they sit and the heart of God for our lives. Verse 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he did. Jesus fulfilled the law. He is, by the way, the only one that has ever fulfilled the demands and the requirements of the law. There is no other human being that has ever done that, ever will, ever has. Never, ever, never. So at Matthew 22, we see this question comes up then as it does now. Works or faith? Lay it on me. Which one is it? I need to know because I want to live my life right. And if, answered that, if the answer to that question is wrong, then your life will go off and veer off away from the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? I mean, tell us what it is. We got to know. Tell us what is the highest command. And he answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. So which is it? Is it law or is it grace? Some have answered that we live by faith. Flip over to Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. Some say, as Paul did in Romans chapter 1 verse 17, the just shall live by faith. And we spent a whole Sunday, didn't we, putting that together and allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us. Look at chapter 1 verse 17. For in it, speaking of the gospel, is the righteousness of God. It's revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And many people camp there and say, yes, I live by faith. I have a relationship with the living God and my faith in him gives me direction for every day of my life. But others would say, no, you don't live by faith. You live by works. That's how you live. That's how you're supposed to live, by works. And so many packages of works have come our way. 
Many people will come and say, sure, you know, okay, well, what's going on in your life? Well, I just gave my life to Jesus Christ at Calvary Chapel. I raised my hand, but my raising hand really wasn't it. God had gotten my heart, and, and I prayed that prayer, and I mean it sincerely. I want to live for Jesus Christ. I want to forsake my past. And someone will say, you know, that's great, but it's not enough. That's great. I'm glad you gave your life to Jesus. How sweet. You raised your hand. Do you know you're not supposed to raise your hand? Oh, really? And they start confusing you. You should have stood up. You should have crawled to the altar. You should have cried. Did you cry? And they start laying on some heavy burden on you. You can't possibly be saved. Wrong church, wrong attitude, wrong emotion. Where are the works? Can it be a simple faith? Can it be? The answer is yes. And so groups will come, people you work with, people you talk to. They offer false salvation apart from Jesus Christ through a package of works. Some packages include worshiping only on Saturdays. That's it. If you're really saved, you will only worship on Saturdays. Or if you're really saved, then, you know, you will go to the true church, the only church. There is no other church but our church. That's how you're saved. Or there will be those that, have you been water baptized? Did you get wet? Are you sure you're saved? Did you get wet? Did you get water baptized? What kind of water? Who baptized? If you're not baptized, then you're not saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know water baptism is very, very important for the believer. It's often the first step of commitment as a person stands and says, I publicly believe in Jesus Christ, but water baptism doesn't save you. We've looked at that in depth as well. Today really is a, is a summary of many, many studies that we've done before, laying a foundation of how, by faith, we establish the law. We establish it. Still others would say you need to be baptized for the dead. You need to be baptized in a temple. You need to realize and be dedicated this way. You need to read our little books. You need to read our little pamphlets. You need to do what we tell you to do. And some will offer you, you can buy your way into heaven. Just go ahead and give, give, give. And your faithful giving to this church will then buy your way into heaven. You know, listen, you cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't knock on enough doors. You can't light enough candles. You can't say enough prayers that will merit you being saved and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But... You can believe your way into salvation. So the Bible says you can believe your way into being right with God. In any system of religion that's based on works, you know, you never really know if you've done enough. You're really never sure. You're like, just when you think you got to that place, they lay some heavy trip on you, you didn't do enough. And they put guilt and manipulation as a part of your relationship, and it actually is a barrier between you and God. It's either a relationship with the living God who has given pastors and teachers. He's given his Holy Spirit. He's given us the tools to know him and to follow him and to obey him. Or it's a system of religion or a group of people that says, here's the list, follow it. And just when you think you're following the list, they add more to the list. You can't dress this way. You can't look this way. For some churches today, they say that ladies, if you want to be saved, you can't even wear makeup Anybody with makeup today? Too bad. The length of your skirt, the length of your hair. You know what that's called within Christian circles? That's called legalism. We want nothing to do with legalism. It's not about how much you give to the church. It's not about how many times you attend church. It's not about the length of your hair, the makeup on your face, or any of those things. And when you live in a system of religion that's works, 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 you never feel like it's enough. You never feel like you've done enough. You're always plagued by guilt. You're always questioning the love of God because somebody has put that question into your mind. I wonder if he really loves me because I forgot to pray today. Of course he loves you if you forgot to pray today. I wonder if he loves me if I just really don't like church. Of course he loves you if you don't really like church. 
That's just a heart issue. He's dealing, on you, dealing with you. That's all. You don't like church. You just haven't understand how precious church is. Church isn't a building. It's all the people sitting around you. You just haven't realized yet how precious it is to become a part of a family that God adopts you in and washes you and cleanses you. Don't like church. Don't like the Bible. Don't like prayer. Hey, give it some time and God will give you a desire to like all of those things and more. You begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Blessed are you now that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we've learned already if salvation depended upon good works, how much is really enough because we really never do enough. We've all fallen short and only Jesus can help us up. Salvation depending on any works, on how much we smile or say hi to people or any of those things, it's really never enough. So the question still is works or faith? Is it the law or is it grace that saves you? Because Paul now in Romans chapter 3 verse 31 says something that will make you pause for a second if we don't understand its context. In Romans chapter 3 verse 31 Paul says this, do we then make void the law? Or in some translations it says do we nullify the law? Do we make it void through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And this is one of the most misquoted, misunderstood passages, perhaps in all the Bible, certainly within the top 10. Because many will come here, they'll take James, they'll take what Jesus said in chapter 5, and they'll come here and say, see Christian, make sure you are keeping the law. Make sure that you're keeping all the festivals. You've left your heritage, you've left your root, and if you're not keeping the law, and if you're not keeping the festivals, and if you're not keeping all these rules and regulations, then you have a substandard relationship with God because he wants you to keep them. But that's wrong. The problem with those that might go the way of the festivals is they're not offering a sacrifice. It's, in, it's not consistent. Those that with legalism and they're worried about what kind of makeup you're wearing or how you're dressing, it's inconsistent with a Jesus that's hanging on the cross, bloodied and bruised for your salvation, who has no care or concern about what kind of clothes you're wearing. We have Lazarus, he comes out of the tomb and he's wrapped in grave clothes and Jesus loved him. It's so inconsistent for us to be saved by grace through faith and then think now we're going to live by works. That doesn't make any sense at all biblically. And God, he wants to free you from that. We cannot be justified by the law. We've learned that already. Go back to chapter 3, verse 19. We've already seen that. If you weren't here with us last week, we answered the question, what is justification? And we looked at each little point and the beauty of what it is to be justified by faith. But for, for now, sufficient for us today, look at verse 19, chapter 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law, that every mouth might be stopped and all the world might become guilty before God. That's what the law does. It reveals guilt. It says, you see the law, you understand that you haven't kept it. You walk away saying, I'm guilty. Wow. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Did you hear that? By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what the law does. It reveals to us our guiltiness. It shows us sin in our lives. Remember back to when you were saved? There were, weren't there, were there things in your life that you didn't even know were wrong until you became a Christian? You just kind of did them. You, you lived that way. Nobody ever told you they were wrong. You just kind of had them in your life. You might have been raised with them. You might have picked them up along the way. But then you became a Christian and somebody opened the Bible and said, hey, look, 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 this isn't good for you. And you're like, I didn't know that. 
I had no idea it wasn't good for me. I've been doing this all my life. I've been acting like this all my life. It's how my dad lived, how my grandpa lived. But now I know, and it forced you to do what? Make a decision. And make a decision. Is this going to be from the Lord? Should I live and obey God? Or should I continue on in my own ways, transgressing what the law has revealed to me to be wrong? The law, the law reveals. The law establishes. The law establishes for us the standard of God. That's what the law does. And so when we say we've established the law in verse 31, we haven't established it as a means of salvation because you can't be saved by the law. It's not a means of salvation. By keeping the works of the law, there is no way anyone anywhere can be saved because no one keeps the law perfectly. If you failed in one area of the law, then we are all counted as failing the law. The law only reveals in our neighborhood. As you drive into the back end of our neighborhood, there's a stop sign. There's a stop sign right there. But because our neighborhood's become a shortcut for people to get one side or the other, people come through the neighborhood and they fly by that stop sign. The stop sign says what it says. Stop right here. If you're going to turn onto this street, stop. But people keep coming and and there's kids playing in the park and it can get very, very dangerous there. And it's neat sometimes as you're looking at it because they don't listen. You could put signs up. You can have somebody in the neighborhood say, slow down, and they won't listen. But from time to time, police officers hide on one of the cul-de-sacs. And we get to see them out our back window. And we go, oh, it's going to happen again. Because the stop sign says stop, but many people just roll. Stop sign says stop, but you come through, you roll. You don't stop, you roll. But the stop sign says stop. So roll technically is breaking the law, right? Because it reveals to you what it wants you to do. What does it want you to do? Stop. But you roll. So you know eventually, eventually somebody's going to establish the law in your life, right? You're going to come through and you're going to roll. And then we see the police officer hidden in the cul-de-sac. You don't see him, but they see you. They turn on the lights. And guess what? They just established the law. <laughs> and they gave you a little deal with their, with their autograph on it. And you feel all messed up because you know you should have stopped because the stop sign said, stop. See, by faith, we established the law for the purpose for which it was created. The law wasn't created to save someone. The law was created to reveal need, to reveal need. Now, if you flip back to chapter 2, some people might take you to chapter 2, verse 13 in Romans and say, see, Paul said in chapter 3, verse 31, hey, we established the law, so you better follow the law. And then they might go to chapter 2, verse 13 and say, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And they'll say, see what I mean? But then you'll say back to them, you've taken that out of context because that's what he's doing. It's out of context. What has chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 of Romans already taught us? That all of us are guilty before God. All of us are. And we need a righteousness outside of our own. By the end, we, time we get to Romans 3.23, we learn, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All of us. So we're all guilty. And it's not by, it's not by keeping an external list of rules and regulations that we're saved. Establishing the law. Here is the purpose for which the law was given. It's a standard to point out sin in our lives. To show us our need. That's all the law could ever do. It could never cleanse a person. It could never change a person. That stop sign in my neighborhood could never make someone stop. It could only tell them to stop. 
could only say, you, this is where you need to stop, right here. But the stop sign, can you imagine the stop sign? Maybe you could put like a human up there, you know, like, and you're standing there and that stop sign starts walking towards you and takes the wheel of your car. You've never seen a stop sign do that. That's not what stop signs do. All they do is say stop. And all an officer can do is say, why didn't you stop? And I hope this penalty teaches you to stop. But the stop sign can never stop anyone. It only says to stop. The law can never change a person, could never cleanse their heart, could never infuse life into a person. All the law could do was say, do this and live, or not do this and suffer the consequences. That's all the law could do. Flip over to Deuteronomy now, chapter 4. What about the Ten Commandments? When did they come? What are they about? Deuteronomy chapter 4. The Ten Commandments have not always been with us. You realize that? They came in a specific time. The Ten Commandments went around for Abraham. He didn't know anything of the Ten Commandments because they didn't come for 400 plus years later. And so let's look at them in Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a retelling of Exodus chapter 20. And again, you can jot these things down if you like. Pick up the CD later or grab it off the web. You can walk through this to have this foundational understanding to grace. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your ears have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. Another way of saying Horeb in the scriptures is Mount Sinai. That's what he's referring back to, where the children of Israel came to the Mount Sinai there at Horeb. And notice... When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, that they may teach their children. Then you came near, verse 11, and stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, the Mosaic covenant. You can jot down right next to the word covenant, the Mosaic covenant. What was given to Moses, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them down on two tablets of stone. So the children of Israel are ready to enter into the promised land. They're being delivered from a life of bondage in Egypt. And God gives them these commandments there at Mount Sinai at Horeb. And he says, this is the way I want you to live. These are the boundaries for your life. You're going into a pagan world, and I want to make sure you stay pure. I want to make sure you don't become like the pagans. I want to make sure that Israel, my people, retain an identity because it's out of my people that the Messiah will come. So that's why he's given the law. Watch out for these things. I don't want you to be like, I don't want you to be like them. So notice it was given at Mount Sinai. Flip over now to Jeremiah, a few pages to the right, verse chapter 31, verse 31. 31, 31, because Jeremiah speaks of another covenant, another agreement between God and man. 31, 31, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new, circle that word, new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Which covenant was that? The covenant of Horeb, right? The covenant at Mount Sinai. Now there's this prophecy that says there's coming a day in Jeremiah's day. God says there's coming a day where I'm giving a new covenant and it's not like the old one. The old one at Mount Sinai. 
You're listening to Abounding Grace and part of a study in Romans from Pastor Ed Taylor. His message is called, By Faith We Establish the Law. To hear today's study again, just visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Not long ago, we put this together with you in mind. And there you'll find our podcast, Pastor Ed's blog, our recent radio programs, a place to contact us, and even donate to the ministry as the Lord leads. Once again, that's AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is to download our free app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora and listen to Pastor Ed when it's most convenient. This month, we picked out a book we think you'll enjoy. It would even make for a great gift or stocking stuffer. It's The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Sort of like a journalist, Lee Strobel investigates the identity of the child in the manger, focusing on the hows and whys of Christmas. It'll serve to reaffirm your faith and help seekers pursue solid answers about the first coming of Christ. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. And we'd appreciate it if you'd remember us in your year-end giving to the Lord. To request the case for Christmas, please call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. And as I mentioned a moment ago, you can make a secure donation to the ministry online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, tomorrow is Christmas Eve, and so we're going to pause our study of Romans for a couple of days in order to bring you a special Christmas message from Pastor Ed Taylor. We have that to look forward to on the next two editions of Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.